Welcome to OCD Whisperer Podcast. This is your host, Christina Orlova. Here we will talk about all things OCD. For more information and to contact me with questions, you can go to www.coreresults.com. That's K-O-R-Results.com. Welcome to OCD Whisperer Show. Today with me, I have Brooke Miller, and she is really passionate about raising awareness and sharing her story with OCD, anorexia, and bipolar 2. And she's really determined to have a positive in- impact and, and you know, helping other people in this community understand OCD a bit better and kind of other, other things going on. And, you know, before even jumping on here, Brooke and I were chatting a little bit about, um, you know, kind of ways that things showed up for her in terms of um, a compulsion that I think might be a bit underrated. So I'm really looking forward to getting a little bit more into it. So welcome to the show, Brooke. Thank you so much, Christine. I really appreciate um, having the opportunity to be here with you today. Absolutely. So I know we we, we touched base a little bit about, um, you know, OCD. I know you mentioned anorexia, bipolar 2. I mean, if you can just briefly give kind of folks listening a little bit overview, kind of what does that mean, you know, having those three different things going on? Um, and and then, yeah, and then we can kind of get a little bit more into the OCD part. Yeah, sure. So just kind of a general uh, high-level overview of history. Um, I started showing symptoms of obsessive compulsive disorder when I was eight. Um, I went untreated for many, many years. I didn't receive p- proper treatment for my OCD until I was 27 years old. Um, in 2016, I developed, um, my eating disorder, which was anorexia, both through, um, excessive exercise and restriction of food and calorie intake. And that, um, came about because of extremely uncomfortable, intrusive thoughts that were new to me from my OCD that year. Um, which were technically relationship OCD intrusive thoughts or ROCD Mm -hmm. as some people know it as. Um, And then this year has brought about um, some new diagnosis for me. Um, In the summertime, I was diagnosed with bipolar because earlier this year, um, I had what they called a manic OCD episode, um, which did end up putting me inpatient into a behavioral health center uh, for a handful of days just to restabilize my medications. Um, And then just very recently, I've um, suffered with panic episodes, but they've been pretty few and far between um, since about 2016. And unfortunately, in the past couple months, they've become much more frequent and the intensity is significantly higher. Um, So that is new to me and my treatment team. So we're working on uh, what the plan is going to be for how we can handle that. Got it. Yeah. I mean, so there's a couple of things you just said that I think if you're okay to uh, you know dive a little deeper because you know I think one of the best things for anybody dealing with OCD or any kind of mental health issues is of course you know hearing about other people and and kind of discovering like oh yeah that sounds familiar or oh yeah that sounds like me um so if we can kind of start from the end you mentioned um you with bipolarity right that that was you had um I think you said an OCD like onset can you tell talk a little bit more about that Yeah. So, um, this was back in January of this year, 2022. And what had happened is my, I was struggling significantly again with relationship OCD. Um, so just kind of a precursor as to how that came on back in 2016. 
It started with intrusive thoughts and images of wanting to be with other people, specifically people that were very close to me. It started with colleagues, and then it turned into really close friends, um, and then it eventually ended up turning into my therapist, um, who has been my therapist for almost nine years now. Um, so we've worked together for a long time. And background, I am very happily married um, to my husband. We are high school sweethearts. We've been together since we were 16. We've been married for 13 years. Um, and I would never, ever, ever want anything to happen to the relationship that I'm in. And I think that's why these thoughts were so distressing. Um, and I also have what is considered a strong thought action fusion. So that's when I experience these thoughts. And instead of, you know, treating them as thoughts, um, I treat them as action. So I had thoughts of being with other people. So ultimately, in my mind, I was a cheater. I was a terrible person. I wasn't deserving of good things. Um, I was trying to ruin my marriage. Um, everything negative that you could imagine. Um, those are thoughts that I dealt with daily. Um, so earlier this year, um, I was working with my therapist on some of this stuff, which um, I do exposure response uh, prevention. So a lot of the exposures were very difficult, very time consuming, very challenging. And um, I got to a breaking point where I just couldn't, the anxiety was so out of control, I couldn't take it anymore. And so one day I decided um, to make it through the day. I was going to pace myself with myoprazolam, which I do have a prescription for to use at PRN. And I figured if I just took a little bit um, every hour that I could kind of maintain my sanity at that point and get through the day and move to the next. Um, unfortunately, I think with the mix of how high of anxiety I had, um, as well as the alprazolam dose building up in my body, um, I ended up having what they considered a psychotic episode. I ended up hearing voices in my head um, telling me to cut myself. And so I was mm -hmm. cutting myself repeatedly um, and I couldn't stop. And so I left the house and called my therapist and told him that I was really scared and I didn't, uh, I couldn't stop and I didn't want to go home because I didn't know what would happen if I went home. Um, and at that point, he's known me for a long time. He knew something was not right. Um, and so he made me walk back to the house. And my husband was home at that point and walk inside with him on the phone and tell him what was going on. And so we called the local behavioral health hospital um, and I got admitted within the hour. Um, so since then, we've my treatment team has been more aware of kind of the mood swings that I go through. Um, I live kind of at a hyper level. Um, I'm a, my OCD makes me a perfectionist. So I'm very fast moving, fast talking, constantly wanting to be getting things done. Um, but there is a significant, um, noticeability when I'm experiencing what is considered my manic episode. Mm -hmm. Um, it gets to the point where I'm talking so fast, people can't track what I'm saying. Um, my thoughts are processing so fast that I'm even having a hard time communicating with people what I'm thinking um, mm -hmm. at the moment. I don't sit down at all. Um, you know, sleep is rough. Um, so we've just been kind of um, watching those, monitoring them. And then there's been some changes in my medication um, that have helped, too. All right. Wow, that's quite a story. Thanks for sharing all that. Um yeah, I mean, it's 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 not a common right to have more than one thing going on with us. It's it's not mm -hmm. like it's people. I think sometimes think, oh, it's going to be just one OCD kind of theme or one OCD thing. And oftentimes, first of all, it might not be one theme, and second of all, it might be multiple things 
Um, yeah. Okay. Um, so the other question as you were sharing your story, um, is when you were talking a bit about how OCD actually, um, what kind of OCD, OCD drove to these compulsive kind of places where you developed anorexia. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that was the year that I started experiencing relationship OCD. So prior to that, my OCD was primarily um, perfectionism. Um, I did struggle with contamination, um, a lot of like toxins in my environment. Um, I struggled with having to position things certain ways so that I didn't have a family member that would die. Um, those were kind of the connective thoughts that I had with those actions. And those were very common for me. I was used to those. I had similar thoughts at the age of eight. Um, in 2016, as I mentioned before, I started experiencing this relationship OCD. I'd have these vivid images and interesting thoughts of wanting to be with other people, both emotionally and sexually. Um, and I, I, <laughs> it was such a struggle to even tolerate myself um, on a day-to-day basis. So I assumed I was a terrible person. I really wanted these things to happen. Um, I didn't want to be with my husband anymore. I wasn't in love with my husband anymore. And because of that, I thought I was undeserving of anything good. So when the thoughts got pretty intense, I, as you can imagine, I was not hungry um, because I was just so disgusted with myself Mm -hmm. and the thoughts I was having. So I wasn't eating much. And then I started um, running every night um, four miles and it quickly turned into, um, I was eating less than 300 calories a day running every night. Um, I would exercise at any point I could, um, on breaks, on lunch breaks at work. I would exercise. If I was reading my kids a story at nighttime before bed, I would do leg lifts. I would move, um, at any possibility I had, I would move. Mm -hmm. Um, and not eat anything. And with an eating disorder, you can quickly get into a situation where you lose so much weight so quickly that you get not only physically ill, which I was, I was having heart palpitations and my, um, electrolytes were all imbalanced. Um, but also mentally. So I started to struggle having conversations with people. Um, I couldn't read books anymore because I couldn't focus. Um, and the eating sort of consumed me. I started counting every form of calorie that went in my body. I kept a notebook, um, and I, it progressed very, very fast and it was very scary for all the people around me. Um, however, I didn't really notice it at the time. You know, my therapist would make mention, I think you're sick and I'm no, I'm fine. This is just me getting out my, you know, anxiety and whatnot. Um, and it got to the point where um, I'd probably been doing this routine for about 12 weeks, I'd say. Um, and I lost significant weight. And my husband turned to me one night and said um, he was afraid I was going to die. He didn't think I was going to make it through this. And kind of a light bulb went off in my head. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I must be really sick. And so the next day I went to my therapist and um, I said, I'm really sick, I think, and I can't stop and I don't know what to do next. Um, and so he recommended a higher level of care. And so I went into um, an intensive partial hospitalization program. So I went to um, treatment five days a week for eight hours a day. And I was in that treatment for about eight weeks, uh, followed it up with some intensive outpatient um, which was three hours, couple days a week, and then went back to my outpatient team. Um, and have been with them ever since. 
And so what would you say internally as that was happening? What was driving? Um, because uh, I know before the before we even got here, you were mentioning there was the, there's a compulsive feature there, right? You felt like yeah. like you needed to kind of punish yourself. So can you right. talk a little bit about what was driving that self-punishment compulsion? Because I think that's a compulsion that uh, not everybody fully grasps that that is yeah. another way that OCD can absolutely manifest. Yeah. And I think it's one that's, you know, it's difficult too. There's certain, I mean... I think all mental illnesses are difficult to talk about, but I do think that there are certain subcategories of OCD that can be very taboo and not accepted, um, you know, by the general population when discussed. Um, and I think relationship OCD is one of those. Um, I think it's very difficult. You know, I've had, it took me a long time, but it got to a point where I wanted to tell my husband what was going on. And that was one of the most difficult conversations I've ever had. I had to look my husband in the eyes and tell him I was having intrusive thoughts of being with other people. Um, and so I think, as you mentioned, the, it was the relationship thoughts that drove it. I, um, I assume or felt that because I had these thoughts, the thoughts were real and the thoughts were then actions. And I wished that these thoughts would come true, um, even though they were very uncomfortable and I wanted nothing to do with them. And because I was experiencing all those feelings, I felt like I deserved to punish myself. And so that's what I did. And I started by not eating and exercising until my heart would race and I could barely breathe. Um, my pace would get faster and faster and my caloric content would get lower and lower um, until it dragged me into a whole new monster. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, unfortunately really common with OCD is that it, it you know, once it kind of takes a hold, um, it, we can all spiral out um, to quite an intensity. Um yeah, and again, thank you so much for sharing that. I, th I think it's really, really important for people to hear different examples and, and ways that, I mean, if you think about it as humans, you know, if there's if there's a really terrible internal experience happening and you don't know quite what to do or how to fix it or make it go away, we'll do anything we possibly can to try to resolve it, right? But if you have OCD, the strategies you use that might work and other circumstances don't work, they get you deeper in the hole. Um, and then, you know, of course, the, the, the guilt, the shame, the anxiety, all of it. Um, but especially, you know, for anybody listening, you know, if you're feeling like, then I have to punish myself because somehow that's going to absolve me or, or somehow that's going to cancel this out or it's going right. to somehow make it better. Right. That that's, that's actually not what it's doing. It's, it's actually taking from you. Um, Correct. And the biggest thing too, just for you know, words of hope is as much as you may not believe it in the moment that you're living in right now, those thoughts are just thoughts. And that has been drilled into my head over and over and over again by my treatment team, because I really, really struggle to believe, to honestly believe that, um, and have, and that's why I'm still in treatment, um, <laughs> this many years later. So, um, ERP has been fantastic though. Um, it has made a huge difference. Um, I had gone through uh, four therapists over a handful of years, all of which were not trained um, in OCD and were not trained with exposure response prevention. Um, one of them I stuck it out with for a little while and did a lot of talk therapy, which in the moment felt great, right? I'd get to go in and kind of talk about what's bothering me that day or that week. Um, but ultimately it wasn't really helping me make any ground with my obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, so I was really thankful to find somebody, um, in that would have been when I it was 27 years old, 
Um, and I've been with him ever since. And we've made tons of progress. But as I'm sure you know and listeners know, OCD loves to throw you new curveballs. So you may feel like you're getting something, you know, under wraps and you're like, yeah, I'm ready to move on. And all of a sudden it hits you with something else, something you weren't expecting and something else that you need to treat. Um, so challenges arise, um, but they, you can make it better. hundred percent. And actually, I mean, you, you kind of answered the question I was going to ask you next as words of hope, but I, I think that's exactly right. And that's a great, great thing to put out there, right? It's, it's that it's not like when you have get treatment, whether it's ERP or all through in their acceptance commitment therapy or even inference-based CBT, but it's that understanding whatever treatment you get, it doesn't mean you're now going to somehow magically never have a trigger again, yeah. <laughs> right? Like you're still yeah. living your life. Like you're still going to be doing things. Things are going to be happening. So at some point stuff is going to come up. You will have some triggers, but it's that you're bringing this different level of awareness. Like you beautifully said, like, oh, I understand now this thing called thought action fusion. Like it's a thought, but I'm treating it as if I actually did the behavior. So hence I deserve this then you know, self-punishment or I, or then I shouldn't, you know, give this thing to myself or I should exercise to the point where, you know, I, I like my heart is, is beating so fast, you know, or, you know, I, I'm completely underweight, I'm assuming, right. Or, um, you know, I can't focus or read to my kids. I mean, the, the degree of impact that it has that we don't notice sometimes. Right. And, um, yeah, OCD takes so much more then, you know, the promise that it tries to give you of, well, if you just compulse a little more, you know, right. you know you, you'll, you'll get that that final kind of rest and resolution. The reality is you don't, um, but you now can bring these tools, this awareness, right? And, and that that helps you be able to disconnect quicker and faster and kind of uh, step away from, from the um, compulsive, especially the compulsive process, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's definitely one thing too that I want listeners to hear is that you know, I feel like it's a common phrase in the OCD community, but you're not alone. I'm just one example. But like I mentioned before, some of these more, um, you know, taboo, um, misunderstood subtypes of OCD aren't talked about because it's difficult to talk about. Um, and that's one of the reasons that I'm doing this is just being somebody who has experienced and struggled so significantly with relationship OCD. But, you know, there's pedophilia OCD and there's um, harm, OCD, harm to yourself, harm to others. Um, There's a lot of subtypes that are extremely uncomfortable and therefore aren't talked about maybe as much as some of the other ones, Um, but you're not alone. And these are intrusive thoughts. These are unwanted thoughts. These are not desires. These are not things that you, you know, want to do or want to happen. Um, And there's treatment out there. Um, there's, and there's so many resources too nowadays with just the internet and social media, um, lots and lots of resources out there. Absolutely. So if anybody wants to connect and find you, how can they find you? Yeah. So, um, I'm actually writing a blog. Um, it's smashingstigmas.com. The whole idea is just to raise awareness and to decrease those stigmas by sharing my story, honestly. Um, I am slowly unfolding my history through that blog, but I also will share updated um, posts as they arise with struggles that I experience. Um, And then I'm also on social media, and it's Brooke Miller, M-H-A, for Mental Health Advocate. Um, So you can find me there, too. 
Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show, for being here. I will, of course, include everything in the show notes. Um, and I hope that you have an awesome day and that this was helpful for everybody. All right. Sounds good. Thanks a lot for having me. Thanks. Thank you for listening to OCD Whisperer podcast. If you have any questions you want me to answer in future podcasts or any other comments, you can go to coreresults.com backslash contact backslash. That's Core results, K O R R E S U L T S dot com backslash contact.